before we kind of uh, dive into Philippians chapter 4, uh, the ladies uh, had the privilege of going away and uh, just spending some time together, getting connected, heard just great things of the ways that God used our women's retreat, and uh, just wanted to, in particular, just to share just briefly how God used that time. Uh, Raquel, is she in here? There she is. And Jessica, are you here? There she is. Cool. Uh, I mean, you can, you can give them a nice, you know... Warm, welcome. Um, what I'm going to do is give you this. And I'm glad that we prompted her to share it instead of just going right into the chalk art. Um, she basically just gave up, you know, this, this whole life just for real Jesus. Like it was this really, you know, religious community. And she was so kind in that she didn't want to speak bad about the religious community. And she wanted to make sure that we didn't have any like ill thoughts about them. And that's just the grace, you know, on her that she just is such a kind woman. Um, But, you know, she went through a lot going through that um, experience. And um, anyway, just for for the cross of Jesus, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. So I was really blessed to hear the testimonies of at least eight other women, even Jessica, um, whose love for Christ convicted me and spurred me on to delve deeper into Jesus. Before coming to CAB, I was actually like in a spiritual funk for a couple of years, and I had been taking testimonies for granted. You know, like they all start to sound the same after a while, or you get bored of them or something. I don't know, but I actually wrongly thought that they they were boring and alike in a lot of ways. And this weekend, I realized that the problem was really with me and my connection to Jesus. So lately, I've been pressing deeper into Jesus and able to see his face more through the word and through the fellowship here with this very faithful church. And, um, you know, a Christ-exalting testimony is a really precious thing. It's not something to be taken for granted or to ever seem boring. So when I was listening to the speaker and when I was talking with all these ladies, I was like the first one in my pajamas, like at the fireplace, like ready to listen to their stories and stuff. Because, I mean, I have two kids and I have a third one on the way and like I was ready to relax. Um, So I was like in my PJs sitting by the fire with Jessica and her mom and a couple of other ladies and... I started listening to their stories, and, you know, oh, I got off track. That's terrible. Anyway, so I heard these amazing testimonies from these, you know, beautiful women, and they were just like God's masterpieces, and I got to see how he was weaving, you know, their lives together. And Peter, my really gentle, you know, faithful husband, who I love, and thank you, I'm sorry, I'm crazy, um, <laughs> he helped me. He helped me realize, you know, what articulate what I was trying to say, and he said each um, testimony that you hear is a miracle of either Jesus sanctifying or justifying, um, or, you know, both with the best ones where you get to hear everything. And, um, so that's from him, not me. And, you know, taking up your cross really looks different for everybody. That was the theme of the, of the whole weekend and listening to, you know, a Jesus filled testimony, like it should never really be boring. Um, these are God's miracles. You know, we're watching his glory being displayed in the lives of, of real women Um, so I was just really blown away by all of these different stories. And I'm so thankful that God peeled back the veil over my eyes and unclogged my ears so that I could hear about his majesty in these women's lives. Um, because of what Jesus has been doing in my life, I was able to just be extremely blessed in hearing them. And, you know, I totally just, you know, repented of that. This is boring thing. You know, these are, these are precious, these stories that we're listening to. And I, I really saw the power of Jesus to transform lives on this uh, weekend. Um, I saw a lot of brokenness totally redeemed by our Savior. I heard stories just scream out precious truth over and over again that God is sovereign over these things that we go through. 
these you know, deep hurts that we experience in life, he has purposes for them and he's in them. He is not just watching them happen and being surprised by them like, oh, I didn't know that was gonna happen. No, he's there and he's bringing these about for our good and his glory. So I was just really moved by that. And um, if I could just sum up, I would just say, when you walk closely with Jesus, um, a Christ-exalting testimony is, is a precious thing to be uh, really enjoyed and treasured. So, um, you know, that's basically what I got from this weekend. So. Wow. That's hard to follow. <laughs> I was just telling Raquel that she covered everything. Like, that, that, that's pretty hard to follow. But um, <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, so on the way home from the retreat, like I was sitting in the car and I just took out my phone and started writing in my phone. So I'm just going to read exactly what I wrote because it's very like raw from the experience of the weekend. Um, on my way home from the retreat, I decided I immediately had to reflect on the experience I had at Star Lake this weekend. My fiance and I have only been to cab a handful of times and I was persuaded to go to the retreat by my mom, Alyssa Nye, and her mom. This weekend, God spoke through every conversation I had with these women. I have been learning in a Bible study the importance of community, but until this experience, I'm not sure I understood it fully. God taught me that laying down my burdens before these women, sharing my testimony, and sharing how God has moved in my life, seeking counsel from these women who were truly complete strangers, are vital to my growth and my progression of my walk with Jesus Christ. I learned the value of taking up my cross in my daily life and how I can seek God in every moment that I'm carrying my cross. I'm incredibly thankful that I experienced the testimony of Elva Hurst, an artist, teacher, and woman in Christ, as well as other testimonies from my fellow cab sisters. Today, brothers and sisters, I encourage you to take up your cross. Even further, I encourage you to step out of your comfort zone and be bold. Getting to know our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ will help cultivate accountability, a deeper understanding of God, and a newfound thankfulness for Jesus. That's what I have. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, there's a shot of them uh, singing to Jesus. Love it. Just raw, authentic, and uh, yeah, thank you guys for, for just sharing. Uh, praise God for what he, what he did and to the way that he, he's moving uh, just among us. Uh, it's just so encouraging to hear the stories of, of life change, the stuff that we, that we gather to discuss on Sundays. This isn't just like ethereal stuff, right? These aren't just like cute ideas that we want to talk about and then apply principles to our life. Uh, this is a real risen Savior who actually is invading the spaces of our life that need to be invaded uh, to rescue and redeem us from all that was broken in Genesis 3 and restore us and all the way to glory, so awesome. Um, I don't know about you guys, but, but I, just, I just like look forward to Sunday all week long. And, and you know, I was just thinking, um, that's just such a gift. Uh, I don't know if you guys feel that way, but there's just this, literally, I, I leave here and I get home and my wife and I, you know, Kristen, all week long, are just, we just can't wait again to be back with the faith family to, to talk, to study God's word, to, to hear more about the wonders and, and mysteries and unsearchable riches that are Jesus and uh, his great gospel. So uh, just thrilled to be back together. So let's pray. Then we're going to uh, get into Philippians 4. Look at two texts, verses 8 and 9. God, thank you that uh, you are the testimony, that God, we testify to a God who came and 
became human flesh and lived the life for us that we couldn't live, who died the death for us that we couldn't die to pay the debt, absorb the wrath of God towards us in our state, and rose again validating his victory over it, validating his assurance over it, God, gifting us your spirit, and God, namely your son that we have to enjoy and worship and press into. Lord, I pray this morning that you would unveil our eyes to the beauty and splendor and wonder that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, may we never move away from that. May that be the very thing that, as these two ladies shared, not only makes us righteous before God, but continues to shape us more to the image of his son. Uh, lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, get your Bibles. If you Just real quick, if you don't have a Bible, there are a bunch of Bibles in the back you can grab. Um, please keep it. If you don't have a Bible, keep it. It's yours, uh, our gift to you. Uh, we finally got a new order in, so um, just excited that we would be people of the Word, that we would study the Word, that we would read the Word. Uh, and just kind of a, an announcement as we kind of step into this sermon this morning, you're going to hear a lot of different texts and verses. We're going to kind of uh, jump around a bit. We're going to stay in Philippians 4, 8 to 9, but um, so if you have your fake Bible, which is your phone, uh, it'll probably be helpful for you because you can scan it much quicker. Uh, if you have your real Bible, then that's awesome. Um, you can actually just keep your finger in place and flip back and forth um, if you have a pen and whatnot. So uh, Philippians 4 verse 8 is where we're going to start. And before we get there, let me just give you guys kind of a, a groundwork as to where we land in Philippians today. So Philippians is a letter that this apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this church that he helped start. Now, Paul was a guy who went around and started a bunch of different churches. And then what he does is he writes letters back to them saying, hey, this is why I love you. This is how I want to encourage you. This is how I want to rebuke you. You see him kind of giving instruction, love, care, concern. He just pastors them through these letters that the churches would read. Now, Philippians is a letter that's different than most letters in that it is very affectionate. It's very personal, okay? Paul had a deep right heart with these people. We actually saw back in Acts 16, we started this letter, how he goes across the, uh, the, the sea. He's going to Troas, and he stops there, kind of looks at this sea, and God's carrying the gospel from, from Asia to Europe, and he, he calls Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke there, so they board a boat, they go across, they make a few stops, end up in northern Greece, which is Philippi, and they go by a riverside where there's some people gathering, and we just start seeing God save people through the message of Jesus. We see Lydia, who's a wealthy businesswoman, she trusts in Christ, and she sees her identity in Christ, no longer in what she has or her wealth. Then we see this woman who is uh, enslaved, this young girl who is enslaved to demon possession, delivered from not just her demon possession, but also the enslavement to these men. Uh, she felt dirty, she felt guilty, she felt shame. Then we see also the jailer. They, they're thrown in jail because they're preaching about this Christ who they say was a criminal who was hung. Well, they're saying he's the God of the universe who saves people. You know, Caesar and the, and the Romans and all those people don't like that, so they throw him in prison. Then God saves the jailer, just kind of as a fun joke almost. They're all starting this church. They're all growing in community. They never would have done life together. They never would have rubbed shoulders together. They never would have wanted to talk about the things they're talking about. And God just starts adding to their numbers. So Paul's writing back to them. And here is what he wants them to know over everything else. Get Jesus. Like, like Jesus Christ is the goal of everything. So we've talked about this over and over and over. If you put your face in the book of Philippians, you're going to see him continue to say, you need to press into Jesus Christ. You need to know him. He needs to be the goal. He needs to be where your affections are. He needs to be where your sight is. And we've just repeatedly been talking about this to where you're almost kind of sick of it. Right, where he just keeps saying his surpassing worth, he's the one who's the author of your faith, he's the one who finishes your faith, he's the one who's going to return, you're awaiting him as a savior, he's the one that secures your hope in heaven, he's the one who sovereignly reigns and rules over all things. 
So he's just driving the Philippians' heart and our hearts into, hey, thinking of the new man in Christ. I forgot where Romans was. Awesome. Fire me. Okay, so here is Romans 8. We'll start right in verse 1. This is awesome. <laughs> man, if there is a like, section of your Bible just to highlight repeatedly or circle and underline, it's this one, Okay. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so he's going to get into the pattern of the mind, but he's going to root it in you knowing something true, which is that there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. Okay, so you feeling guilty of past sins, you wondering if God killed that or canceled that, that that's a lie. You need to replace it with what's true. There's no condemnation for you in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He's just explaining the gospel. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. You would think in Christ. He says in us. So, so, wait a second. There's an aspect to where the maturing mind, the conversion of the mind, actually glorifies God and shows more of Christ's glory and shows more of his worth through the ways that we walk with our minds set on the spirit and not on the things of the flesh. Like, God's actually fulfilling his plan through regenerating our mind. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh do what? Set their minds on the things of the flesh. So the person without the regenerate mind just focuses on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on what? Things according to the Spirit. Hey, this is active. Like you are setting your mind somewhere. And only the Holy Spirit of God enables you now to set your mind there. On what, what is of the spirit and not what is of the flesh. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of God of Christ does not belong to him. I mean, you could just, you could just keep reading. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, that's just describing the man and woman who walks not according to a new mind and new thought patterns and someone who does. So he's showing this all come full circle, okay? He's, he's describing in Romans 8 someone who walks with a blind, futile, depraved mind. It's set on the flesh. It's not about God's imminency and him returning. It's not on his sovereign rule and reign. It's not on him finishing the work he started in you. It's not on his great humility in the gospel where he emptied himself and became the form of a servant and took your sin and rose again. It's not on those things. It's on the flesh, on the here and now, which leads to greed and grumbling and complaining and all the fruits that we saw in Philippians. I mean, Paul's coming full circle here. So here's what I want us to do. Go back to Philippians, because here's the key. When salvation happens, you're given a new mind. It's not just that Jesus forgives you of your sin. Like, he forgives you of your sin. He makes you one of his kids. He gives you his kingdom he also gives you his mind. Like, like that, that's part of your salvation. So, so go back to Philippians and flip back one page to chapter 2. 
Look at what he said in chapter 2, verse 5. And we talked about this when we studied through it. Here's what he says. Chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in who? Christ. Where should you be pressing your mind? Christ. Because what does he do right after that? He rolls out this great gospel act. I mean, that this Jesus who is on his throne with myriads of angels worshiping him, he, he left that, he came through the life of a virgin, right? Born of a virgin, born in human flesh. He emptied himself, he walked this life for us. He actually became obedient to the point of death on a cross, right? And all of that happens, he takes on our sin, he gives us his righteousness, he raises himself again, and then he's seated on the throne and everyone's gonna bow to that, everyone's gonna kneel to that, everyone's gonna see that and give worship to that, whether you are a believer or not believer. Now, not salvific in that sense, but in, I can't not do that. Because when God reveals himself, you can't not worship him. That's what happens at conversion. Like, God doesn't have to force you to love him. He just has to show himself to you. Here I am, and you worship. He's not weak. He's not going, man, I'm trying to twist your arm and force your heart to, he just unveils himself. First Corinthians 2. He just shows you, and get this, a spot of his glory. A spot. Like we're not even beholding the whole thing yet. So think about this. If just a spot of the glory of God transforms our hearts and minds, imagine when we see his fullest glory. I mean, I mean that's why we'll be fully glorified. Because you're not just seeing an element or a spot to his glory. You're going to actually be beholding God. He's going to be with man. No sin. No separation. Unreal. Okay. Let's, 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 uh, let, let's. so here he is. He, he's showing us this idea in chapter 2, verse 5, of having this mind among yours, which is yours in Christ. You're given a new heart, a new mind. You're pressing it into Christ. He goes into this great gospel act, and he's showing that this new mind enables you to understand that thing that just took place. Philippians 2, 5 through 9. You understand it now. It makes sense to you. It's not pointless or meaningless. So the Christian life is characterized by a new mind. Look at what John Owen said, a great Puritan preacher. He said this, that good which the mind cannot discover, the will cannot choose, and the affections cannot cleave to, Love this. In Scripture, the deceit of the mind is commonly laid down as the principle of all sin. Wow. John Stott had another great quote, something along the lines of, sin most pervasively invades the mind. It annoys the mind. Emotions, we kind of piddle with and justify, but, but the intellect is where it really wants to get. So the question is, where should we drive our minds? Because we've got to take care of our minds. Now, what has Paul consistently said, even as we've taught Paul? What is he saying in Colossians 3? Set your mind where? On things above. And who's there? Christ. He's seated at the right hand of God. So, so, so here's what, what I want us to see. I want you to see how this rolls into Paul's list of things to think on. Chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what he says. Think on whatever is true. 
This sets up the rest of them. Because everything else is based upon something that is, in essence, true. So you have to know what's true. So you have to be able to spot the lie and replace it with truth. I think most of us sin just by having unbelief and believing the lie. Right? Now, based upon what Paul's saying, if you're following his train of thought, what are we tempted to believe is false? That, that Christ didn't act in humility and, and rescue us. That Christ really isn't a surpassing worth. That, that, that Christ really is not worth straining and striving and pursuing. That Christ really isn't the goal. That he's really not the author and finisher of our faith. He's just saying, finally, he's just summing up everything he's just said and saying, hey, this is the truest thing you can think about. Like everything else. Listen, the enemy wants to sow every lie he sows into you is tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't believe his love. Don't believe his grace. Don't believe his mercy. Don't believe that you're found in him or your identity's in him. Don't believe any of those things. Believe what is false. So as soon as we buy that lie, we wander, tempting to go back into the mind that was futile, depraved, blind, but God's given us a new mind in Christ where we can see his glory, we can see his mercy, we can see his forgiveness, and he goes, press into that. Man, think on what's true. You can just follow this list. It's incredible because truth, according to Ephesians 4, is found where? In Christ. He's the essence of truth. You see what Paul's not letting you get away from him? Hey, finally, finally. Well, let me sum it up. You're going to think about something. If you're going to let your mind drive itself into something, not just your emotions, drive your mind into the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's just summing it up using these words to describe that. I mean, if you want to know what's true, where do you go? The Word, right? Right? We go to the Word? Yes or no? Okay, cool. I just, I was about to do a different sermon. Okay, so, so here, okay, so, so the Word is, that's, that's just, like, man, we, okay, uh, we're evangelical, right? We're Protestant, we're, okay, so, sorry, bad joke. So here's, here's, um, if you're going to go to truth, where do you go? You go to the Word, right? Okay. Jesus says in John 17, I want them to know the truth, sanctify them in the truth, right? So we mature, we grow, we're sanctified. And what's the truth? He says, your word is truth, right? Hey, the word is truth. Who's the word? John 1. Jesus. He is the word. He's the word made flesh. So you are pushing yourself. I mean, the word of God is Christ. Christ is the word. You see, they're not mutually exclusive. So as you press into Christ, you're pressing into the word. You're pressing into truth. If you're pressing into Jesus Christ, you're pressing into the word. Then he says, okay, so whatever is true, this is amazing. See how this all comes full. Whatever is honorable. You know what honorable by definition means? The distinction, it's to give distinction to that which is worthy of honor. Well, what is most worthy of honor? That Paul has just said. Jesus Christ and his gospel. I mean, I mean, Christ bearing the wrath of God towards sin. Christ emptying himself, his humility. I mean, he's going, that's honorable. Drive your mind there. 
Man, drive your mind and heart into that he's going to finish the, I mean, we could just keep repeating all these truths. Paul's saying, hey, that's the most honorable thing to do. Whatever is just, okay, the definition of just, behaving according to what is morally right. I mean, who is the only one who exists who's going to make all, thing morally, all things morally right? Jesus. So, so think about the ways that he is by nature the one who makes all things morally right, whatever is some of, some, of, some of your translations say whatever is, whatever is right. That, actually, that word actually means righteous. And yes, you can roll that into Think on pure things. Think on heavenly things. But who's the most righteous person? What's the most righteous thing you can behold or see? Jesus and his gospel. What, keep going through. Whatever is pure, uncontaminated, just pure. I mean, that's a definition and description given to God. He is pure. He is without sin. See him. See his purity. Think about that. Let that well up longings to know him more and to see your sin and in turn see the weight of his mercy and grace to you. Because you're thinking about his character and what he's like. Whatever's excellent. I mean, I don't know anything more excellent or praiseworthy, right? I mean, guys, just, just think about this, just common sense. So you see how Paul is coming full circle? Because what's he going to do in the next chapter? Show you that contentment, a fruit, again, is only found in pressing into Jesus Christ. It's his strength that fuels us. This is why, this is where we put our thoughts actively. And we've been hearing this over and over and over from Paul. And this is why Paul's going to say for the third time this letter something he's already said three times. Verse 9. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Okay, so everything I've just told you. What's the word? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. Again, we said it last week. This means what? They take practice, which means what? They're not natural. It's not natural to drive your mind into the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not natural to feel freed from your sin. It's natural to feel guilt and constant condemnation. So this is, listen, this is not void you of actively training your mind, practicing, placing your mind on text, on scripture, on truth that describes and shows to us who Jesus is and what he's done, right? Amazing, beautiful. It's not natural to dwell on what is true. It's natural to dwell on what's false, right? Natural, it's natural to want unbelief. And I think about that guy who just prayed, God, help me not in my belief, help me in my unbelief. In the Gospels, that's a great prayer. So this isn't natural, but what do we just learn, okay? We don't walk according to the natural mind. We walk according to the supernatural mind. So you can actively place your thoughts here, being empowered by his spirit. Now understand, this is not some quick fix, okay? 
That's why chapter three is so huge. It takes striving, it takes straining, it takes practice, it takes getting under godly men and godly women who can point you to scriptures and point you to the gospel and show you more of your need from him and teach you more of his character. It's getting under the preaching of God's word. It's gathering with the faith family so we can rally under the preaching of his word and hear what he wants us to hear and then leave and be good missionaries and share the right truth with people who don't know Jesus. I mean, this is all, this stuff takes You're not just going to wake up one morning and just do this. It takes practice. It takes straining and striving by the Holy Spirit's power and ability, 1 Corinthians 2, that enables you now to discern these things right. Now, now here's here's why we got to get this. In in student ministry, when when we, we were involved in pastoring high school students before we moved here, one of the hardest things to help churched students understand is that this gospel of Jesus Christ is not just past grace. Like, what are you going to do when you leave these doors and you sin? Like, what are you going to do when you're tempted to dwell and think on things that are not pure, that are not lovely, that are not the gospel, that are not Jesus, that are not his holiness, that are not his rescuing nature? What are you going to do? Right, it, it's, it's present grace for you. Like the gospel is saving Mike Reed right now as he's preaching. The gospel is going to save you today from yourself. He's going to save you today from your narcissistic wants. He's going to save you today from the desire to be idolatrous. He's going to save you today from your desire to want to look to things that are untrue or false or unholy or unpure or not excellent. Not, and he's going to drive you back. And it's also future grace. It saves you ultimately. Right, this is, this is amazing. So, so here's why this is so important to get. And we talked about this because there's a way to struggle and fight sin in a natural way and in a supernatural way. That's just how I'll define it, okay? So the natural way for us to fight and struggle against sin, which we saw th- like two or three weeks ago, is we want to control the sin, right? We want to just, try to fix it, manage it. I'm just gonna overpower it. I'm just gonna take care of it, right? Meanwhile, Jesus is over here, the one you should be pressing into and pursuing and thinking about, right? So he's voided the scenario. You're now over here just trying to fix this thing, but it's not working for you. You can't fix it. You can't change it. And now you think you can't get near Jesus because he's not involved in this until you fix it. I'm going, you're not gonna fix that thing until you leave that thing and press headlong into him by the power of his resurrected power that breaks that thing in your life. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, okay, so this is how this rolls into thinking right and this not being wishful positive thinking. Okay, this, this is, because I want to explain this. Okay, so here's why this, this, this is important how it rolls into this. Here's what happens if you think that this is simply telling you if your sin issues lust or your sin issues self-discipline or I don't know what it is, just fill in the blank. And you think, okay, by overcoming that lust issue, I just have to think more on things that aren't pornography. So I'm not going to set my eyes on that. Okay, that, that's, that's good. That only gets you so far for a season. And here's what happens. When you go a week or two having victory over that sin, all of a sudden 
you have no more need for the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel says you need a savior. But you're going, I don't need a savior. I conquered this sin. I'm going to move on to something else. And that just rolls you right back to Genesis 3, which is called idolatry against the king of the universe. And so you're still in the same place because you're trying to manage your sin and modify behavior and not press headlong into the one who's going to break that thing in your life. And so instead of you just trying to stop and think differently, you push your mind headlong into the very thing that reminds you you can't but I did it. His resurrected power enables the breaking of it. It's not void of putting good things on your computer and software and protection, but that's not the goal of it. Like the goal's not, I'm going to a week not doing this, two weeks not. No, the goal is Jesus. I can't say this enough. I know I've been saying it for weeks, but, but keep getting to know him. Otherwise, you are just doing stuff void of him. Like that's not Christianity. Like that's not what the Bible teaches. And so many people, void of truth, void of pressing into Jesus and seeing his, his soul-growing, sin-killing work on the cross, we just stare at our sin and want to change it and modify it and make it go away for a little bit, and we're void of him and thinking we can't get near him until we fix it. Guys, he died for you when? When did he die for you? Now when, while you were over here. Bearing your face. So, think about the rationale of this. Okay, but I still can't get near him, though, until I'm able to get my face out of this and fix this. No, no, no. He died for you when your face was in it. So that frees you to leave it and push into him. Paul is calling us to, to serious, active thinking. In something that's real. In something that's rescuing and freeing and delivering. Which is Jesus Christ. That's why I love how he ends repeating what he said in chapter 3. I'll be the model. Hey, what you've learned and received in, in me. Hey, practice that. And here's what's amazing. What have we consistently seen in Paul? Someone who tenaciously pursues Christ over all things. That regardless of his circumstance, he says he has surpassing worth. Right? And we're just reading the text. I mean, that, that's what Paul has modeled for three chapters. Hey, he's going to finish the work in you. He's the author of it. He sustains it. He finishes it. Hey, you, your anxiety that's bubbling up, man, look at the one who sovereignly rules and reigns. Press into that. Hey, man, you're, you're having some, some fear here. You're, you're lacking in rejoicing. Hey, remember that he wrote your name in the book of life. Hey, remember that he's the one who's at hand. He's the one who's returning, right? You, do you see he's constantly moving your mind to him? So he's going, hey, all this stuff you've heard, just, just keep doing it. I don't have anything new to tell you. You waiting for a cute little, oh, I discovered this, philosophy, psychology, He says it's Jesus, so a heart and mind is driven in all circumstances into Jesus. Remember his humility, Paul's saying. Remember his surpassing worth over all things. Remember Christ is all. Remember his imminent return. Remember his sovereign rule and reign. Remember your name's written in the book of life. Remember he is truth. Remember he is just. Remember he is pure. Remember he is worthy of praise. Remember he is excellent. Do you see that? Think on. These things, brothers and sisters. 
actively drive your mind there. Here's how I want to end, a little bit different. I want to give us a few uh, verses to look at together and just, just, just pray over your soul and over your mind that, that God would help us to do this. Listen, just so we're all in good company, no one feels alone, um, I wake up many mornings and I'm not thinking on what's lovely and pure. I'm not driving my mind into the finished work of Jesus. I'm driving my mind elsewhere. I'm driving my mind into condemning thoughts and doubt and discouragement. So I'm, I'm in the fight. So let's just look at a few Colossians 3. It's a great one. Maybe these are some you'll write down, memorize. Colossians chapter 3. This is just a good exercise too. Just Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. I just want us to think about this, look at it, and then just, just pray it over our hearts and our minds. If then you've been raised with Christ. Okay, that's key. If you've been raised with Christ. Okay, You're in here and you're not raised with Christ. You're not a Christian. You never trusted in his finished work. Okay, there's, there's repentance that needs to happen. There's examination of his holiness and your sin and your separation with him. That needs to happen first. Doing business with God. Saying, yeah, I, no, I've never put my full trust and being in Christ. I've put it in me. I've loved worshiping me. I've loved living in my depraved, blind, futile mind that tells me how I want to live my life, think the way I want, to make my own destiny, which leads to blindness, which separates me from God, which leads to shamelessness. You're caught in lust. It always increases in want, but decreases in satisfaction. So you keep going after something that won't satisfy you. You're stuck in the merry-go-round. Christ is there to free you. Those of us in Christ, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You see how much Paul talks about your mind and Christ and all the different ways that Christ ministers to your mind? Take a few minutes and just pray over this text, over your mind. Ask God to help you to fix your eyes on Christ where he is seated, that you would see him, that, you would, that he would help your mind to go there. Ask him just for a minute.
Go down to verse 10, chapter 3. You've put off the old self. Look what he says in verse 10. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's being renewed after the knowledge of who? Jesus. Ask God to drive your mind and renew your mind in the knowledge of Jesus. Knowing Him. Knowing His person. Knowing His work. Ask Him to do that. Last one, Ephesians 4. It's a beautiful text here. Ephesians 4, 17 to 22, he talks about the old mind. Depraved, blind, futile. And he talks about in verse 20, he says this, but that is not the way you learned who? Christ. Not the way you learned Christ. You have a new mind. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ask God to keep teaching you the way you learned Christ, which is his person and work, which is the gospel, which is him taking your sin and making you righteous, not leaving you as an orphan, and gathering you as his kids and giving you the kingdom and also planting in you a new way of thinking. Ask God to help your mind to think according to the new self. Ask him to do that. God, we we are here because you've given us a new mind. God, we once could not see the splendor and glory and forgiveness and mercy of Jesus Christ, and now we see it. God, I pray we would never stop pressing into what we once were enlightened by. We would keep looking at it, enjoying it, that our minds would dwell on these things, that our minds would think on these things, 
that God, you would protect us from just worldly, wishful thinking and, and positivity and things that don't get at the root, but that just give us band-aids for a season. God, I pray that we would constantly drive into the root, which is Jesus. I pray that we'd be people who have good, warm, full minds that is filled with the knowledge of Jesus. That God, as we put our face in our Bibles, that as we gather in community, that as we pray, that as we observe the Lord's Supper, that as we interact with non-believers, that all of those things would be working its way towards us seeing more of you. God, thank you that Christ is the goal. God, thank you that the remedy is Jesus. God, thank you for these words that Paul wrote under your guidance, under your sovereignty, that nourish us this morning. God, I pray we would walk as new creations with new hearts and new minds, that we would actively think right. And God, I pray for those in this room who, who God, don't have a new mind in Christ, don't have a new heart in Christ. God, that they'd see your sweet forgiveness, they'd see your sweet love, your unending, relentless heart that goes after them in the person of Jesus. You didn't come to to create a better self-image for them. You came to replace their old self with a new self. You came to give them life. You came to give them forgiveness of their sin. You came to give them rescuing. You came as a giver. God, I pray that you would renew their mind this morning. You would change their thinking about you. They would see you as a good God, a good father who loves his people came after them in the person and work of Jesus, who humbled himself, emptied himself, lived, died, rose, absorbed the wrath of God towards sin. They leave encouraged and made new. In Jesus' name, amen.